What's up, Pels fans? Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Preston Ellis, and you can find me at Preston Ellis on Twitter. Now, you guys, we are really rolling here at the Pelican Debrief. Coming up, we've got Jeff Duncan of the Times-Picayune. He's going to talk some Pelicans with us and give us a little uh, snippet of what we can expect from the NFL Draft with the New Orleans Saints next week. But first, I want to tell you guys a bit of what we've had going on at Pelican Debrief Podcast. We've had Ian Levy, uh, who was just most recently on ESPN. He's Fansided's NBA editor and columnist, as well as editor-in-chief of The Step Back. Coming up next week, we're going to have Mason Ginsburg of Bourbon Street Shots, Keith Smith of Real GM. We're going to talk to some of our guys here at PelicanDebrief.com, as well as Fansided's Bulls, Lakers, and Nuggets sites. We're going to debate the merits and pratfalls of signing free agent point guard Drew Holiday. So stuff is really on the up and up here, and it's all because of you guys. So keep listening, keep subscribing subscribing, keep sharing, keep tweeting and telling your friends, give us suggestions. We're thrilled to hear from you guys whenever we do. But coming up right now, again, you guys, it's Jeff Duncan. Let's do this. It's time to phone a friend. And now we welcome on to the show, Jeff Duncan of the Times Picayune. This is a big thrill for me. I've been following you for years, Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Preston. Uh, great weather in New Orleans and uh, kind of a crazy time of year. You know, we got the end of the season with the Pelicans and the NFL draft coming up next week, along with uh, the Zurich Classic. So it's a fun time to be covering sports here in uh, the Crescent City. I know how much you've got going on with the NFL draft starting next week, as well as uh, the interviews at the end of the season that the Pelicans just had a few days ago. Before we get to that, you guys, you can follow or you can join, I should say, over the 32,000 followers who keep up with Jeff's material every day on Twitter by following at Jeff Duncan underscore. That's at Jeff Duncan underscore. And you can follow the Times Picayune directly and get all the greatest New Orleans sports news at nola.com slash sports. Back to Jeff. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your path to the Times Picayune. What are some of your favorite experiences since you've joined the team? Oh my gosh, uh, so many over the years. Uh, this is one of the great places to work, I think, in the sports journalism industry. Even though we're a somewhat small, rel a relatively small market, we're a big league sports town, as you know. I mean, we've got uh, two professional teams. We routinely get Super Bowls, national championship games in college football, Final Four uh, events. Uh, it's really a great place to work in our industry. So I started my career, Preston, in North Louisiana in, at a small paper in Monroe. We, we call it Funroe, of course. Such a crazy uh, market up there. But it it allowed me to get a foot in the door in, in Louisiana, and I got to meet a lot of people here. And as I moved on in my career around the South and, and different stops in Florida and Tennessee, I always had my eye on coming back to New Orleans, if possible, and was able, lucky enough to land a job covering LSU in 1999, and it led to covering the Saints and then eventually working my way into a columnist role. So I feel very fortunate and blessed to be able to, to, be able to cover sports in this city because it's a dynamic place to work. Now, you just mentioned that you're from Monroe, which is extremely cool. Uh, one, because I love Mon Monroe, but two, because the Pelicans just announced three weeks ago that they are creating their own D-League team. And one of the potential landing spots for this team could be Monroe. How cool would that be for you in your hometown, Jeff? Well, just to be clear, I'm not from Monroe. I just started my journalism okay. career there. So <laughs> Sorry. Just to be clear. But, 
but no, Preston, it would be very cool. You know, I think Monroe, it, it's a unique market. It's weird. It's it's located in North Louisiana, but really there's nothing there but from Jackson, Mississippi to Shreveport, Louisiana. So the unique thing about that small market was it covered a very large geographic area. So you had all three network TV stations there. So it was a great place to start your career because you could uh, you had a lot of other people in the broadcast journalism world starting their careers there as well in different forms of journalism. So I got to befriend a lot of people that were kind of in the same boat as me. And Monroe doesn't have a pro team, so I think it would be cool. I'm actually interested to see where this D-League team lands. And I think it's a very good move. If you're a Pelicans fan, I think you have to be encouraged that the organization is investing in their own D-League team. I think it was something that for a long time people wondered about how, how committed are they uh, to the Pelicans organization without having their own D-League team. Now I think we see the um, they're walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah, I think the favorites so far uh, have listed Gulfport, Biloxi, uh, potentially Covington, Monroe, Baton Rouge. I'm from the City Park, Bayou St. John area. I would love to have a, a small stadium built somewhere in there. I think it's the nation's largest park, so there should be room for it, although that's probably not likely. They'll probably want to take them out of town. But let's move right along, Jeff. I know how busy you are. Let's talk Drew Holiday. He's the biggest story of the Pelicans offseason. He is eligible for a monstrous five-year, $176 million deal, according to Larry Kuhn. Gentry and Demps were a bit noncommittal about Drew in the season-ending press conference, and and what has to be for a myriad of reasons. My best guess is that they made a below-max offer, and Drew has opted to test the market, as he should. Jeff, what is your assessment of Drew, and how do you think all this turns out? You know, I think it's the number one issue for this team going into the offseason, and I think Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps are just being pragmatic. I think they know they're in a little bit of a conundrum, Preston, because I think they want him back, but they're not 100% sure he wants to come back. And so I think they're trying to temper expectations a little bit in case he – does not elect to come back. And the only person that really knows, I think, is going to be Drew Holiday. What kind of market would he expect uh, to have uh, in the open market? Uh, and, and is he satisfied with how things played out during the short period uh, when DeMarcus Cousins was, was with the team? Did he like that threesome? I know when they first made the deal for Cousins, uh, talking to some executives there, they very much wanted this to be sold as a big three, not just a big two with, with Cousins and Davis. They were all in on Drew Holiday being the third wheel of their big three. And it didn't really play out that way early on. And so I, I know how committed the organization probably is in bringing him back. But I don't think they feel like if he were to leave, it would be devastating for them. The question I have, and I'm sure most Pelicans fans have, is if he did leave, who could they get better than holiday. That's really the overriding question for the organization. And you start looking in free agency, uh, you know, it's not, I think there's some meager pickings out there, assuming everybody re-signs with their respective franchises. You're really, I think the, the, the chances of getting somebody better than holiday, I think are going to be somewhat remote. So I think it's a little bit of a difficult situation from both sides. Where is holiday going to land that would give him a better shot at maybe making a, a deep playoff run. Cause I know that's what he wants. And I also think at some point he's got to feel somewhat uh, obligated, not obligated, but uh, committed to the organization 
how they stepped up for him and his family early on last year. I thought it was a significant move by the organization and showed a lot of class. Yeah, you mentioned some of Drew's numbers post-Boogie. He was putting up near all-star numbers before the Boogie trade. He was averaging over 16, 7.5 assists, shooting 40% from the field. After Boogie, about 14 points, 7 assists, went up in turnovers, got moved to shooting guard in favor of Tim Frazier. So things did look a little murky for him at the end there. And Alvin Gentry even mentioned in that press conference about potentially moving him to a combo guard type position. And we're not sure that that's where he wants to play. But like you said, the Pelicans will have to get very creative this offseason, exploring the trade market. Maybe, who knows, Chris Paul wants to come back home a la LeBron Mm -hmm. fashion, or they just waited out to the deadline. But all of this will be uh, towards our second biggest question of the offseason, something that Del Del Demps will have to answer for us. Now, since Benson took ownership in 2012, the Pelicans have won more than 34 games just once under Del Demps. And uh, we we had a very confusing situation a few years ago with Monty when it was kind of leaked to the press that, you know, he might be on the way out if he doesn't get to the playoffs. And this year we had a very similar, eerily similar report about uh, Gentry reported by the Sporting News and was confirmed by a Pelican source that if he didn't show significant progress, that he was going to be shown the door. What what do you make of all this? What do you make of Mickey Loomis saying that he doesn't watch all the games? Do you trust uh, the Pelicans' management and the higher-ups right now? Oh, no. I don't see how anybody could have any faith or confidence that they're going to get this thing turned around. Look, getting DeMarcus Cousins, while I think everyone agrees, was a good move, it was also a move somewhat out of desperation, and it was made out of desperation because of the state of the organization at the time. You know, There were other organizations, I'm sure, that looked into dealing for DeMarcus Cousins, and balked at it because there is something of a gamble there. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins went through six coaches at Sacramento. I don't think all of them were, uh, you know, bad coaches that couldn't that couldn't uh, put together a winning organization, a winning team. I think there's some question marks there. You took a gamble to bring in Cousins, as talented as he is, he's still an enigma. And organizations like, say, Boston, they're in much better position did not take that gamble because they felt better about their uh, position going forward. So this was a risk, and it was made out of a little bit of desperation. And now that they've got Cousins, they've got to make this deal work. Is that fair to Alvin Gentry, who really didn't come here to coach two bigs and try and figure out this project? Uh, That's not really his game. He's going to have to do it. A really good coach will tailor his offensive system to his personnel. But – I'm starting to wonder if he's the right coach for this mix, and if he's not, is it fair to not judge Dell Demps, who put them in that position to begin with, and also was the man that single-handedly basically hired Alvin Gentry? The question I have, Preston, with Demps is just I don't, and I think most Pelicans fans would agree here, the plan seems to change almost with the wind here. You know, they, they first had a plan with Monty Williams, they changed that plan. Uh, midstream once they got uh, Anthony Davis and they had some some injury problems there's no question you have to consider that but once they got that plan going it basically changed again they brought in Alvin Gentry they were going to go to this kind of pace and space system with shooters and then they let their two best shooters leave in free agency uh, and they go out in free agency this past year and bring in a couple guys like Solo Hill and Etuan Moore that are good role players, 
but they're not going to solve your your shooting woes. And they, I know they drafted Buddy Hill to fix that, but then they changed midstream again to bring in Cousins. And it just seems like there's there's a lot of throwing darts against a wall, just trying to figure out what they want to do. And I think I think it's showing on the court. They just haven't been successful because I don't think they have a cohesive vision for the future. Yeah, you mentioned that there's not a plan. And Del Demps was just quoted last week saying, the season just ended yesterday. I walk in here every day excited about my job. I don't ever feel the pressure or anything like that. Right now, we're in evaluation mode. And this is very similar to what happened last year. We didn't hear from anybody for a few weeks. We didn't know what was happening. Danny Ferry was like this looming presence in the Pelicans organization. Now, you just wrote a few days ago that you think Alvin Gentry and Del Demps stay throughout this year. Do you think with the Cousins trade and with everything that's gone on that that is what's going to happen? We're going to keep everybody going forward for the year, and then at the year, the end of next year, then we're going to reevaluate everything? From everything I've been able to gather, that's how the organization is leaning. With one caveat, I would say, once they have their postseason meetings with the Brain Trust, and the Brain Trust within the Pelicans organization is owners Gail and Tom Benson, Dennis Lausch is involved as the president, Mickey Loomis, director of basketball operations, and Del Demps and Alvin Gentry. If in those postseason meetings, there is some revelation that one or the other doesn't feel like they could work together or there's some friction there or they don't uh, have a symbiotic plan going forward, I could see something happening. But that's the only way that I think there will be a change is if one or the other feels like they can't work with the other person. And I'm not sure that I have no indication that that's going to happen. So my reporting has basically led us to, to believe that they're going to be there for at least another year uh, to see this plan forward. They don't feel like they can evaluate either one of them on a short, uh, small body of work with Cousins and Davis in the lineup together. Regardless of who the general manager is this offseason and what plan he has going forward, it's going to be difficult treading. There's not a lot out there. The guys who are out there are most likely going to resign. Gordon Hayward may move to Boston, but there's just not going to be a lot out there for the Pelicans to work with should they lose or sign Drew. Should they sign Drew? They have a biannual and a mid-level, which is 8 and $3 million respectively. Should they let him walk? They get 14 Maybe uh, Dante doesn't resign. They get an extra three. Jeff, do you have any idea or any inside scoop over uh, what the Pelicans could be planning in free agency, or do you think they're just going to have to really get creative with the trade market and like package like a Quincy Pondexter and an Agensa for, I don't know, uh, an Alan Crabb in Portland or something to that effect? I think that's exactly what they're going to have to do. I don't think they're going to find the solution in free agency. I really don't. But I don't really have a lot of faith that they're going to find somebody like you mentioned Alan Crabb. That's a good example of somebody that would, I think, fit into this, into the, this lineup that would help them. Uh, the problem is those guys are so valued, by so many teams in the league that, and I don't know how much value Adensa has in, in the, in the rest of the league. I don't I'd have to talk to more agents to figure that out. Um, I just don't think they've got a lot of assets beyond the big two and Drew Holiday, who's, of course, expiring contract. So uh, I think they're limited, and it's going to be really on Dell Dempsey's shoulders to try and put something together uh, to kind of fix this issue. I mean, the, th- the question I have, and I think a lot of Pelican fans 
have and should have is just how good is this team? I mean, they, they pointed to all this hope and optimism at the end of the year at the, at the press conference. Uh, but, and I know they were more competitive in these games, but they were still seven and 10 with Davis and cousins. And according to my research, two and eight against teams 500 or better with those two on the court together. Uh, that's not very promising. I know they were more competitive in those games against winning teams, uh, but being competitive and then being able to uh, put that together and make a playoff run, I think I think what we're looking at, and I made this point in my column, is um, are the Memphis Grizzlies, is that the goal of this organization? I don't think that can be the goal when you have a generational talent like Anthony Davis and another talent like DeMarcus Cousins. You should be able to contend for a championship at some point. But because of the mistakes made in management, in the past, this this roster is just not suited, I think, to make any kind of run at challenging the elite in the Western Conference. Well, Jeffrey, we're going to have to get a hold of any of your voodoo contacts in New Orleans, and we're going to have to somehow woo our way into this top three pick because it sounds like that's our only salvation at this point. <laughs> and uh, like, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know who we know or what contacts you have, but. Uh, that that could potentially be flipped in a Jimmy Butler trade, or that that would definitely make things much more interesting for the Pelicans going forward. But like you said, it is misleading because the Pelicans won eight of eleven games at one point in the Boogie era. But the two biggest, like most crushing wins, other than the Blazers' win, came against the Nuggets and the Rockets, where Boogie wasn't even in the lineup. But I want to go back right. to what you said about uh, Agensa not being movable. I do have a friend with the Nuggets. Uh, so Alexis Agensa, I don't know if you remember this in the past two months, always somehow found a way to play well against the Denver Nuggets. And the <laughs> Nuggets fans and their writers definitely took notice. And it's it's not a bad contract. It's $5 million a year. They need an extra rim protector. Not that Agensa is that, but they seem to think that he is. And they have a gluttony of uh, of shooting guards right now with um, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Malik Beasley, who doesn't get any playing time, and Will Barton's on an expiring. So Will Barton is somebody that the Pelicans could, and I hope they, they do target. But um, let's go ahead and talk about Boogie, because this is going to play another big part in the Pelicans offseason. Do you have him making the All-NBA? And I haven't been able to find this information anywhere, but should he make the All-NBA? Is he eligible for that three-year extension that Westbrook got last year? Do you have any information on that? No, I don't. And I, I, here's what I've heard from, from Cousins Camp is that they are going to keep their options open. Now, obviously, they would love the long-term security of a deal, but it's probably in their best interest to wait and see because because of all the the uncertainty with the organization, they're very much aware of all that's going on here. Just the, the things we're talking about today, what's going to happen with the front office, with the coaching staff, if things for some reason bottom out next year, um, who knows? I mean, God forbid Anthony Davis gets hurt or something for a significant period of time and this team struggles. Uh, Cousins may want to look elsewhere. He may want to move on. It's certainly in his best interest to wait and see how the season goes. It's almost like the, the Pelicans version of Drew Brees. I feel like he, he and his camp are in the same boat going into this season. They want to see how the Saints play out before committing to them for a long-term deal. That said, Cousins' numbers are remarkable. He's a remarkable talent. I don't think I've ever seen a guy with his physical physicality with such a soft touch. It's just such a, a, 
paradox to watch on the court. Uh, he drives like a bull in the china shop into the lane and somehow still has the touch to finish uh, despite all the contact. Uh, that said, he's somewhat of a rogue. I mean, you, we all watch it. We see three or four plays a game where he just will launch up a three without any context, uh, you know, flow to the offense. And yes, he can hit threes, but is that working within the, the confines of the offensive system? Uh, I've got still got a lot of question marks about Cousins and whether he can fit into a plan to take a team to a championship. I don't think it's lost that he never was able to win in Sacramento. And I know that that organization has, has a lot of dysfunction, but I think you have to, he has to shoulder a lot of that blame on his own shoulders. And so I'm, I'm eager to see how this thing plays out. It's fascinating to watch. Uh, and I don't know, I'm sure the, the Pelicans will approach him about getting him to sign, but I've heard that the uh, camp, the cousins camp is going to play wait and see. Yeah, it should be interesting to let all this unfold. And and you mentioned you you have to believe that Anthony Davis has to be the guy who keeps DeMarcus Cousins in line. If not with Davis, where it has to work and they need some some kind of a point guard who can distribute the ball to DeMarcus in the post. We had such difficulty with that this past season, maybe making a move for somebody like Ricky Rubio. But in order to do that, we need some more cap space. We need something to trade beyond our 2018 first round pick. Have you heard anything about Dante Cunningham and what he plans to do with his $3 million player option? No, I haven't heard about Cunningham. That's going to be one to watch as well. I mean, I can, I can make a case for both ways, you know, but I, I think he's a, a, a solid role player for this team. But if he were to leave, uh, I don't think it's, you know, I think he's a guy that they can easily replace, especially if they're able to get creative, like you mentioned before, in the trade market, use some of their assets. But Cunningham's a guy I know that the organization really values. They probably value him more here than they would in some other markets. So I think they would like to have him back. Uh, it's just a matter of what Cunningham and his camp want to do. And if they feel like this this organization is moving forward. And I would say this, Spencer, I mean, like the the players I've talked to internally, even off the record, the one thing I would say that is in a positive light for Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry is there is not a lot of disgruntledness. There was never a lot of finger pointing here. Everybody seems very optimistic about how things are going. It's considered a good place to play uh, around the league. So that, that's all positive. This is not seen as some kind of dysfunctional situation. I think the questions are, can they put it together now with the existing roster to make the deep run, or if you're Drew Holiday or Dante Cunningham, do you look at, say, a, a, an organization on the upswing like Milwaukee, say, or even Philadelphia or Minnesota with those you know, young players there and think, hey, maybe that that's on a, on a steeper arc uh, toward getting where I want to go and a quicker accelerated path to a title than here in New Orleans, which has a lot of things to overcome to get there. Definitely a lot of things. Give us your prediction, uh, Jeff, as to how this summer unfolds. Let's say Drew Holiday goes back to Philadelphia. He joins Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and all these young guys, whoever they decide to go with this year in the draft. What What do you think the Saints do to? Or sorry, the Saints. We're getting to that in a moment. What do you do? What do you think the Pelicans do to replace him in free agency? What would your dream scenario be? Well, you know, I'm, I I think they would be. I would almost be better served plan B to go after a 
strictly a true point guard, like say a Patty Mills type, that is not going to have the scoring ability or even the defensive ability of Drew Holiday, but would perhaps be the guy we talked about that can work with the Cousins Davis tandem. I mean, setting that up, still able to knock down a three, and then it allows them maybe to spend more money on a wing that can knock down those open shots that we all watched over and over. Uh, people miss because they traded away so much of their perimeter talent uh, in the Cousins deal. That's not going to be that hard to find, I think, to find a knockdown shooter on the wing. But getting that just the right point guard like a like a Mills type that can be the kind of set-up guy, uh, I don't think they need to go out and get some dynamic uh, big three option like a Chris Paul. I don't think that's necessary when you've got two talents like Cousins and Davis. I think you need – sort of uh, supplementary parts. And I think that's doable if Holiday leaves. If he doesn't leave, now you're kind of limited in what you can bring in because of the salary cap limitations. And, yeah. and let me make it clear. I, I think Holiday is more than likely to end up resigning here, but it's really it's the ball's in his court, and I haven't had a chance to talk to his agent to find out where they're leaning. I know at one point they were heavily leaning towards resigning here, but I think how things played out at the end of the year – uh, it's created a little more, I think, question, a few more questions for them because he's playing a new position. And, uh, you know, he was uncomfortable there for a while in, in this offense. So I think it's not a slam dunky resign. Definitely. And some some wing players who can shoot who would probably be affordable. Uh, we've had Anthony Morrow here, Jody Meeks, Jonas Jarebko, Justin mm-hmm. Holiday could be some options. I've got one more Pelicans question, and then I want to pick your brain about the Saints upcoming draft next week. Will we see you at the Orlando or Las Vegas Summer League? And what do you know about the Pelicans' plans going into it? Check Diallo and Axel Tupin and Quinn Cook have spent a lot of time in the in the D-League. And there's a lot of rotation minutes to go to some player who can contribute. How heavily will the Pelicans be infiltrating Summer Leagues this summer? Well, I won't be going, but we are in the process at NOLA.com and the Times Union of actually hiring a new Pelicans beat reporter, our longtime Beat reporter John Reed is unfortunately having to leave. He's had some personal issues with his family. Um, uh, it's very unfortunate with health health reasons uh, in, within his family that he's having to stay in Florida. So he, he has taken a job with the Jacksonville Times Union covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, John has covered the organization since they came here. He's the longest tenured Hornets Pelicans beat reporter in the city. So it's a big loss for us because he had such – great experience covering the league and was always uh, present at the summer league and whoever we hire will be there for sure. Uh, so I just want to make that clear, but um, I will not as a, as a columnist, I, I usually have very little uh, reason to go out there for that other than to, you know, potentially meet with Dell Demps. And I've done that once before that said, I like the Quinn cook signing. I thought he showed a lot when he came in. Uh, in his limited time, and I know they've, they've always kept tabs on him and like him. Uh, I'm not sure about Coupain. I just haven't seen enough of him to feel like I can make any kind of evaluation. Just looking at his background, he looks like a developmental prospect that they obviously saw something they liked and want to keep him on board for a while and further evaluate him. The fact that he's been cut two or three times by other teams doesn't bother me. I mean, look at uh, Jordan Crawford and how he was able to come in and contribute uh, I thought that was one of, if you had to point to Dell Demps' uh, highlights this year, I think finding Crawford and getting him basically for free 
and filling that role of Buddy Heald, he basically became the Buddy Heald of, of the Pelicans in the second half. Uh, I thought that was a very good move, and I think he's very happy here in filling that role as kind of the, the second-team uh, offensive punch off the bench. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they put together this, this summer league team. It's always fun to see. And Cech Diallo, I think you, you can see why they why they drafted him and why they – have such high expectations for him. He's a tireless worker and a guy that puts it in, puts in the work in the gym. And yes, he's got limitations, uh, but he's the kind of guy that's just a uh, you know gym rat that's going to keep going forward. And as long as he can block shots and rebound, he's going to have a job in the NBA. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to tout him as their first round pick for this upcoming season uh, as he was in the the minor leagues, as it were, the D leagues most of the year. We didn't get a whole lot of that of Jack, but uh, supposedly he's supposed to bulk up to 240 over the summer, which will really help him in the painted area. And he's already got the athleticism to do everything else. You mentioned Jordan Crawford just for our listeners. We interviewed him on Sunday. So check our archives. Go listen to that. It's a great, like, feel-good story about how he was in China two years, the D-League. He went from scoring 42 points for the Warriors in April of 2014 to no NBA basketball outside of summer leagues and preseason for three years. So great feel-good story. Go and listen to that. And finally, I just want to touch on um, John Reed. We wish him the best. Uh, My fiancé and I are actually celebrating our anniversary in St. Augustine today so i'll be sure to stop over in jacksonville and send him your best we're glad to have him in the area but let's move on from basketball i'm so thrilled to talk saints with you i've been i've been covering the saints since i was a child as i'm sure everyone in new orleans is it's such a staple of the community we are just a week away from what could be one of the more unpredictable drafts in recent memory every mock draft and board seems to be completely different outside of miles jarrett what do you think could potentially happen? And we've got a bit of breaking news. This is recording on a Wednesday. Malcolm Butler has signed his tender with the Patriots. What What is going to happen? What is going to change before next week's draft, Jeff? And then on draft day, do you do you have an idea of what the Saints are targeting? Well, Preston, I, you know, I think what happened yesterday as far as him signing his tender was just a rubber stamp situation. I don't think anybody... Uh, was going to um, lure him away and, and be willing to pay that uh, first-round draft pick for his services and restricted free agency. That's very, very unlikely. So I think this is how it was going to play out along, and I feel like eventually uh, the Saints, whether that comes on draft day or before the draft, and it makes sense for it to happen in the first round after the Saints make their, their pick at 11. I could see them executing this trade uh, that that's been so you know heavily reported since the NFL Combine, and I think what's eventually going to happen is it's going to end up being almost a straight swap, Malcolm Butler for Brandon Cooks. The Saints, I'm sure, have discussed with Butler's agent the parameters of a long-term deal, and that's going to be a key part of it. I don't think it would have gotten to this point so far down the road if there wasn't some kind of informal agreement, handshake agreement between the two organizations. These two organizations are known to push the envelope on NFL rules, and I know that they're not supposed to have had these conversations, but let's face it, it it went very far, and it makes a lot of sense for both sides that this is basically just part B of a two-part trade between the Patriots and Saints for Butler and Cooks, and it had to work out this way uh, because of procedural policies within the NFL collective bargaining agreement. So I expect them, the number 32 pick to go to uh, 
the Saints, and I think the, I mean to the Patriots, and I think Malcolm Butler will be the starting corner along with Delvin Bro next year. And who the Saints get at 11, I think it's going to be entirely contingent on how this draft falls. If I'm a Saints fan, I'm hoping somebody up there starts taking some of these quarterbacks and as many offensive players as you can because there's really, if you look at most big boards, the top 10 picks, eight of them are defensive players, and I think the Saints would be well-suited to take any of those eight, assuming one of them drops to number 11. The worst-case scenario is nobody takes a quarterback or nobody takes one of the receivers that could go around that area, and all the defensive players go off the board, those top eight, and they're stuck in a 2015-like scenario where they end up having to take the best player on their board. It's an offensive player. In that, that case, it was Andres Pete. I don't think they can afford to do that this year and have a guy that doesn't contribute. I think they need, because of the things we've seen, three straight 7-9 seasons, Drew Brees' contract being up, they need to kind of make a move next year uh, in the right direction, or I think there could be some wholesale changes at Saints camp. What do you think is the Saints' dream target at 11, uh, somebody like Marshawn Lattimore falling to 11? And what do you think has to happen, like you said, if none of the quarterbacks get picked, no offensive players get picked, maybe uh, Leonard Fournette somehow drops to the to the Saints at 11? <laughs> what do you think it would take for the Saints to trade up a couple of picks? And what do you think it would take for them to trade back, which I, I can't remember an instance of Mickey Loomis ever doing, so it's probably unlikely. Yeah, I tell you, this might be the year to trade up, though, because there's so many teams in the top 10 that seem to want to trade down. It might cost you less because the market is what the market is uh, to trade up and go up a few more spots. You know, if you look at those trade value charts, it costs a lot to move into the top five. I mean, it's really cost prohibitive, especially in a draft that's so deep. You're giving up a player that could eventually be a starter for you if you hit on it. So I think the Saints will be pragmatic about that, realistic. Uh, unless they have a player that's so highly graded, Preston, that, that they have to go up and get him, I think they're going to stay at 11. Because if you talk to a lot of scouts and analysts about this draft, Miles Garrett, like you mentioned, is number one, clearly. And then the next 15 or so prospects are all graded about the same. So the player you're going to get at 11 is probably not that much different than the player you could get at three or four. But because the Saints have a clear need, I think, for a pass rusher, for somebody to affect the quarterback, they have to address that in this draft. They may have a high grade on one of these guys that they feel like it's necessary to go get him because they don't feel confident about the players that could possibly be there lower in the draft. And I think Sean Payton, we know he's aggressive. We know Mickey Loomis is aggressive. This could be a year where they go up and get that guy, but I don't know who it is. I really don't. I don't think anybody does. I don't think they're going to tip their hand. Once you get past Garrett, it's kind of a mixed bag. Everybody seems to have a little bit of a, of a you know, fatal flaw in their resume. Uh, there's no sure thing once you get past Garrett, so it's all beauty in the eye of the beholder. Well, there's a lot of edge rushers and cornerbacks available in the first two rounds, so the Saints should come away happy in terms of those positions. Jeff? Thank you so much. You guys can follow him at Jeff Duncan underscore and read all of his material, NOLA.com slash sports. Jeff, take a minute, plug yourself. What can we read and see of your work this summer? And give us give us a, a, a give us a prediction for the draft next week. And also you were on a podcast with Larry Holder yesterday. Is that right? Tell us a bit about that. 
Yes, we do a podcast called uh, Dat Chat that kind of has a deep dive into the Saints uh, every Tuesday. It's kind of a live interactive podcast where we take um, reader uh, questions and submissions and comments. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun hour for us. And um, if, if you're a hardcore Saints fan, it, it's, it's all things Saints. I mean, we go into it every week. And uh, look, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, we're going to be all over the draft next week. I will be out a couple of days at the Zurich Classic. I'm going to weigh in this weekend on this Drew Holiday situation. So Pelican fans can look for that. It'll be on NOLA.com. Because I, I agree with you. I think it's it's the biggest priority for this team this offseason, other than what are they going to do in the front office? Are they going to make any changes? Uh, but getting Holiday, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what Holiday does, because I think that's a little bit of a barometer on what people think uh, the prospects are of this team going forward. Holiday has been so well treated here and so well liked internally by the executives and his teammates. If he were to leave, I think it would be a little bit of a red flag about maybe the direction of the organization. So I'm going to be watching that very closely, and as, as I'm sure most Pelican fans will. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. I know how busy you are. This has been an absolute thrill, not only for me personally, but for our site having you on. Thank you, and uh, we look forward to reading your material in the future. Yeah, Preston, look, I, I run around Bayou St. John all the time, so if you ever see me over there, make sure you stop. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'd appreciate that. Thank you, Jeff, and have a good one. My pleasure, Preston. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much again to Jeff Duncan. Now, Pelicans fans, before you go anywhere, make sure to check out blogtalkradio.com slash pelicandebrief. Hit subscribe, share, talk about it with your friends. We really appreciate all the support that we get from you guys. And if you want to go over to iTunes and give us a rating, we'd really appreciate that too. We just had Jordan Crawford on earlier this week, Matthew Huff of nuglove.com. Coming up, like I said, we've got Mason Ginsburg. Ian Levy, we've got Keith Smith, as well as some of our own team members from PelicanDebrief.com. So the information is going to keep rolling even in the dead of off season. But for now, let's go, pals.